Coming up on the final podcast of the year, we look back to our favourite films of 2018. We not only just talk about it amongst ourselves, but we ask some pretty cool people what their top five films was as well. We also review Aquaman and find out what Arthur Curry's been up to since the events of Justice League. And finally, we send John and Jamie to review a little film called Roma. Apparently, it's quite good. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello, welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, the film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. It's the podcast that's been sitting on its sofa, binging through box sets, as well as every other film that we haven't seen for 2018 for this exclusive pod. Speaking of people that I like sharing my couch with, I want to introduce to you my co-host for this evening. You know him as John, I know him as Deska. You can also buy his album, Lucky Dust, for, some, for someone for 2019 on all good streaming services. John, how you doing, buddy? I'm amazing. I'm full. I haven't eaten a full meal in about a week i've just been eating a slurry of leftovers and feeling pretty wonderful about it nice nice how about you i'm i'm in a world of of different choices uh, last night the new netflix movie dropped um uh, bandersnatch and uh, it's it's really interesting it's multiple it's a say black mirror uh, feature length episode where you can decide uh, during certain key points you remember those adventure books where you'd go to go to page three for this or if you want to do that go to page 10 that sort of thing and um, i went through every eventuality last night because i'm a sad fucker <laughs> like that but um, have you had a chance to see this yet no it's obviously high up on my to-do list but speaking of which i mean i was watching my this there's a minecraft series that does a similar thing on netflix with my niece obviously i don't watch that stuff but i thought it was really interesting that it's kind of been done with the kids uh tv um yeah but i can't wait to watch this i've heard there's a trillion different uh options where you put them all together which i don't know how that could possibly be there's not really there's probably about six like endings or variants of the ending which uh, it gives the illusion that there's lots of like you know you play those uh, telltale games or just those those free choice games where it's like a, it's basically just a massive decision tree there's actually only like six outcomes but and a lot of outcomes will will take you there eventually but it's done really well and it is so self-aware like there's something so black mirror about it how long did it take you to get through them all it takes about an hour and a half to get through the whole lot all right so you basically watched it all and then got watched all the end well no if you just keep watching so at the end it'll then take you back to the earliest decision that would have changed your overall outcome and then you can just basically select the other option and it plays out the story again so it does a really and this is pretty clever it does a recap of everything up until that point like a previously on black mirror sort of thing and uh, that's done really smart like i imagine that's a, a a technical marvel to get to get to that and it's so seamless as well like from your tv if you're doing it on your mobile i work in like product development so naturally my first thing was this must have been a bitch to qa <laughs> but uh, no i i haven't seen any any there's no complaints about it uh, everyone's enjoying it it was trending on twitter for like the best part of two days like the first four spots were about this uh, this tv show and the narrative in that which is kind of cool a lot of people and a lot of critics are saying mm, i don't know if i want my entertainment to be like this i like to sit and enjoy and and just you know it's not a video game i don't want to play a video game it's like hold on you're still getting black mirror 
like next year there's still going to be season five this is just a a thought experiment with netflix money and black mirror narrative i mean come on what's not to like about this you'll get a lot out of it i think john mm, it's a one-off as well you know well i mean i presume they're not going to want to record like six times the footage for every episode uh, but it's the perfect show to kind of try out new things and i'm all for it definitely did you have a good christmas like did you do anything filmy over christmas uh well not really, other than watch films. My, me and my family sat down to watch About Time, which is a, quite a tearjerker, especially if you're with your family. It's kind of a kind of awkward emotional journey, but what a movie. About Time, Richard Curtis's most underrated movie by far, um, and a good family classic. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Ah, nice, nice. On the Friday before Christmas, I took uh, my daughter to, uh, took her to London for my annual, take her into the office and uh, and basically say, if you're thinking about redundancies, look, I'm a family man. No, of course, <laughs> it's just to uh, <laughs> it's just to have a bit of fun and get, get us out of the house. But we also went to, um, at the XL in London, uh, Marvel have got a big exhibition called The Avengers Station. And of course, I took Lana because at the age of two, she's obviously the demographic for this. No, of course not. It's for me to go look at some cool shit. But uh, I couldn't help but feel like it was a lifeless cash grab. <laughs> it's got some cool bits, like some props from the films and all that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it just felt a bit bit meh. And uh, I mean, I, I got a discount for it. If I paid full price, I think I would have been a bit a bit miffed. But um, anyway, I got some cool photos. I put them up on the Twitter account. Anyway, shall we crack on with the big feature this year? Let's go. Twenty eighteen, I think, has been an absolute amazing year for film, and we've covered something like a hundred films over the last twelve months, which is kind of cool, uh, considering you know we're kind of a small outlet and all that sort of thing. We've been invited to tons of press screenings, we've we've seen quite a few films. I think it's fair to say we've been a bit filmy this year, wouldn't you agree, John? So filmy. That's why we talk filmy to people. <laughs> Meet a piece of fudge <laughs> left over from Christmas. I apologise for the unprofessionalness. But there's <laughs> there's fudge everywhere in this house, and I just have to keep eating it. So. This is my last piece. I asked John to think about the last 12 months of films that we've, we've reviewed, films that we may not have reviewed, and, and kind of come up with a top five. Um, I also put the bat signal out to, A, on our Twitter account, to people that we love and admire, but also I've been speaking to, to some other film critics out there and asking them to share with me what lists uh, they're putting together. Now, this is kind of interesting, actually, because I was speaking to a few, and I won't I won't say the names to people who, who didn't provide, um, just because, yeah, I don't want to seem like I'm bitching or anything like that. I proper, yeah, I respect all this sort of stuff. And... And um, it's quite interesting because a lot of our, our, I don't want to call peers or colleagues, just people that we talk to in the podcasting world, um, a lot of them have patron services where you basically pay money, subscribe to them, and that's how they've managed to make it their job. Like, And they're living the dream. They get to write or, or talk about the, the culture they love, the things they grew up with, and they've made a job out of that, and that's amazing. And um, for them, their top lists of the year is actually like a key piece of content, which they would have as part of their patron service. So when I was speaking, saying, hey, what's your, your films of the year? They're like, eh, I'd like to, but this is the sort of content I'd keep back for my patrons as I'm releasing it in the new year. So I hope you understand. I was like, okay, cool, 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 chill out, I get it. But some people have also shared with us as well some pieces. So I'll obviously give a shout out as we go through and obviously direct you to where all their good services are. 
But um, I kind of put up earlier and sort of said where my mind was at, and that was that was me Flinty's list um, that I put up on the Twitter account earlier. Uh, I'm gonna just get the ball rolling, and John, you know, chime in as and when on that. But my number one film, as it's, it's no surprise to anyone, is Infinity War. Um, I this film has been the combination of 19 films in the making. Uh, I have been on every opening night of every Marvel film in the UK. I do this with pride and admiration. And to see the the combination of all that 10 years worth of work on the silver screen, and it wasn't a piece of shit, which is this film had no right being as good as it was, but it was amazing. Uh, we done a podcast special about it earlier in the year. Still one of our most downloaded podcasts ever. And uh, yeah, I know, John, this is all lost on you, but that is my number one film. I com- oh, It's completely understandable. I was half expecting Spider-Man, the Spider-Verse, uh, one that we reviewed a couple of weeks back because you had high praise for that. That has made my top five. So I'll go through my top five and kind of the reasons why I put them in there. So uh, number one, Infinity War, as I explained. Now I've put number two as Mission Impossible Fallout. Now some of you might be going, what the hell? Uh, but we did give it a five. It was absolutely fantastic. But I, I give you I give you this argument. Why do you go to the cinema? You go to the cinema to be entertained. And Mission Impossible has gone from strength to strength to strength. And it does a few twists, it does a few turns, it does all the beats of a Mission Impossible film, and you still want more. Like, this is it, it's like sixth movie now. Tom Cruise is somehow aging backwards and still pulls it off and it's believable. Simon Pegg's as charming as ever in this, you know. It's, there's just so much to, to love about this film. And uh, it recently got re-released on Blu-ray and digital um, just before Christmas. And I watched it again and I was like, yeah, this is definitely up there and it just about in terms of enjoyment and satisfaction that made it in there um, my number three uh, as john mentioned spider-man into the spider-verse i think we will look back on this film and we'll say this is the point that animation uh, completely changed and i think we're going to be talking about this film in a very very uh, high praise for a very long time and um, the soundtrack's absolutely killer. There's something about representation in there. I took my daughter to it. She passed uh, it passed the daughter test. She thought it was absolutely fantastic. She's uh, absolutely obsessed. Uh, she doesn't say Spider Man though because she's still still learning to talk. It's Spider Man, <laughs> and uh, which is very very adorable. Um, but yeah, it definitely made it's for me. It's it's definitely number three. Uh, number four, I put a quiet place in there. Um, for me, this is the film that that put horror back on the map. Uh, I know, you know, there's a little argument about Get Out. Um, that's definitely got an argument to say that that was putting horror back on the map, and I definitely concur. But we're talking about 2018, um, and it was just such a a surprise package. Uh, your boy, Mr. Kristansky, was absolutely fantastic in this. Uh, Emily Blunt. I mean, what a fucking year Emily Blunt has had. She's gone from being in a quiet place to Mary fucking Poppins in a space <laughs> of 12 months. And uh, and finally, I, I had to put it in there. I absolutely adored American Animals. It was a, another surprise package. I generally went in, and it's kind of rare, um, when especially if you're like obsessed with film and like you're constantly reading about it and trying to look up trailers and find out other shit that's going on. It's kind of rare you go into a film cold, and it's just not out of ignorance or or, or actively wanting to. It's just literally a oh, I need to review a film for the pod this week, and it was a bit of a quiet week. And American Animals came out, and I come out thinking, man, that is a film of the year contender, and it definitely is. It's in my top five. Um, John, I imagine your top five is is considerably different to that. It doesn't cross over any film. I was expecting one crossover, but mine's completely different. But um, I sh- nice. I struggled. Do you know why? Because 
I really feel like this has been a good year for film, but I, it was really hard to think of the one that absolutely blew me away. Last year, it was kind of quite easy. Shape of Water and La La Land, I think. And there were some really clear favourites. But yeah, this this year has been really tough. I haven't actually numbered them I didn't because I feel like they're so different. So I want to give an overall picture of why I've chosen these. So I'm going to say the first one nice. is actually a streaming gem that I'm reviewing later on the podcast, which blew me away out of... It was sort of Flinty sent me on an excursion, review this subtitled Mexican movie uh, in black and white. I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm the pretentious one. I'll do it. And uh, oh my word, Alfonso Cuan has just smashed it out the park and i predict the first netflix oscar i'm saying it here he's getting nominated at least something is going to get given for roma which is phenomenal um so that's it's going in there mate it's going in there you and barack obama have a similar choice so barack obama uh shared on his instagram account his favorite movies of 2018 and roma made the list so there you go high praise indeed do you know what else made the list because I obviously love Obama and his lists. Uh, the Death of Stalin, which is an amazing movie from Armando Iannucci of The Thick of It fame. And in the loop, he's amazing at political satire. And this film is just, it's hard to follow, like all of his stuff, but it's well rewarding if you can. And it's so funny. So uh, it's amazing that Obama. I put it as one of his favourites because it's just a huge piss take of the Russian state and the complete, you know, it's <laughs> it's amazing. So it's a big middle finger in my eyes to Putin. Um, so yeah, Death of Stalin's in my top five as well. We haven't never got a chance to review that, but do check that out. It's on Netflix. It kind of passed me by that one. It's a yeah. I mean, it didn't have a huge release to be honest. Um, I was waiting for ages to see see it in the cinema. And it, I, you know, I don't think I even got the chance to in the end. So, um, so Bohemian Rhapsody, I mean, we both saw that and it completely shocked us how, how much we enjoyed it because we were expecting a really run of the mill, uh, biopic and it was incredible. So I've, I've definitely thrown that in there. It was out of that and the star is born. I thought Bohemian Rhapsody got the nod just slightly would you go with that yes i would agree with you on that i was really really struggling with behemoth rhapsody as to where to put it um i agree with you it's definitely a five star from us we really enjoyed it i know a lot of people have got their issues with it but um you know again i put it back to the point of we were just really entertained (laughs) and fuck (laughs) them but uh yeah i i would agree a star is born uh, that's another one that i haven't actually seen yet um and that's one that's missed me by but i know john you've got high praise for that so um yeah I'll, i'll take your word on that one yeah i think it gets the nods just slightly um and a couple of honorary honorary mentions i think one that deserved to make the list that passed a lot of people by but i thought is absolutely amazing so enthralling and female-led, um, a simple favour. You remember that one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's. I guess it doesn't bode well that we've kind of forgot about it. I had to kind of be reminded that it was this year, but I thought that was, film was so entertaining from start to finish. Great performances. And yeah, I just, I love that one. So I think that deserves to go in my top five in a, maybe in a stronger year, maybe wouldn't make it, but... Yeah, I think it deserves a mention. And I also, I think Ready Player One 
um, deserves to go in there because Spielberg, I think he brought it. He brought it home. You know, he made us thirty somethings feel kind of twelve again watching one of his movies. Um, and I, th- I think. Yeah, it was so good to see him back on form, back on that Spielberg form of years gone by. So, um, yeah, they're my favourites. This year, I've gone with Ready Player One, Bohemian Rhapsody, Roma, A Simple Favour and The Death of Stalin. I try to mix it that's, up a little that's bit. That's nice. Uh, there is definitely, I mean, like, I, I'll be honest, there's a couple that have passed me by in that list. But, um, you know, there's this... I think this has been such a good year for film. I was thinking of some of the ones which didn't make the cut for me, which I definitely think deserve to be in and about that conversation. Um, I've got to say, I really enjoyed Crazy Rich Asians. Um, I felt that just out of like just general decency of representation and like how far film is going, I'm not saying it's there yet, but how far it's going at the moment. Like that's the fact that we, the world, has seen this film and so much money's been generated from it. I think that's fucking awesome. Um, I also think that I really, really enjoyed. I really enjoyed Coco at the start of the year. Um, I know our American listeners will say, "Hey, that was a Halloween film from last year," but it came out in the UK in January, so it counts. <laughs> um, I, I just love that film so much. It's got just a nice, warm feeling that you get from a good Pixar movie. Uh, yeah, there's there's just so many like amazing films. I want to say actually, uh, we've done a podcast about this last year, and we talk about comedy a lot. And I don't think there's been an amazing laugh out loud comedy but i've got to say game night was really really good like i generally enjoyed that i don't know if it will ever hold up for years in the future but that was a good time we did what yeah game night it we we were definitely pleasantly surprised to see a comedy that made us laugh because uh <laughs> but yeah that was uh jason um what's his name wonderful jason bateman, bateman. jason bateman well on form uh yeah i think comedy of the year probably go to that yeah definitely anyway so we'll talk let's talk a bit about horror so as yeah we tend to be more popcorn than than niche in terms of our cinematic coverage so as mentioned before i put the bat signal out and i asked a few of our our friends and people who might be coming on the podcast in the future to uh just just to give us a shout of what they're thinking about so i had a a chat with zobo over shotgun she's a film critic for mainly horror films she's got a got her own website and she's got a podcast coming out next year and i was like what's your your tough five uh, top five and she came back with this is where she's thinking at the moment so hereditary um i agree that was chuffing awesome we reviewed that earlier on in the year we uh we got i think we gave it four out of five and but i think on like repeat viewings i think that is definitely going to be something for a while this is a film that passed me by she said um searching is like definitely up there for her now the concept of this was brilliant and um, i can't remember the name of the gentleman but he was uh from howard and kumar the guy who was not Kumar and <laughs> he was uh, his daughter goes missing and he uses social, her social media history to track where she's gone and uh, it came out kind of a whimper in terms of marketing but it was really really innovative and uh, unfortunately it was one that passed me by but uh, that's definitely on my list to when that comes out to buy to look at did you see that advertised at the time yeah I did it kind of looked a bit gimmicky to me but I'm Willing to, I've been proved wrong many times before, and I'm happy to be again. <laughs> what about Annihilation? Because I mean, we both enjoyed that. 
And that's on a lot of people's lists. I've been reading a lot of lists and Annihilation makes nearly every one. So it didn't make either of ours, but it's definitely, I mean... No, because that's my streaming gem of the year. Uh. Um, so I, I'm saying like Annihilation is fantastic in the Netflix original world universe, um, but it doesn't stack up um, to the other films because I didn't get a chance to see it on the big screen. And uh, maybe if I saw it in an IMAX or something, that uh, that might have blown me away. But I know it made old Bazza's list as well. Um, but yeah, I, I generally like, we done a spoiler special about it. Um, you know, I keep plugging the podcast. Um, check it out. Me and Jamie really do nerd out for two hours about how much we enjoyed that film. But uh, yeah, for me, it's the best like streaming film of the year. But uh, not enough to get into my top five. Fair enough. But. Uh, but as mentioned, Quiet Place, that's popped up in loads of people's lists. And Zobo has also uh, put it in her list. She also mentioned The House That Jack Built, an upgrade. Two films that have uh, come out recently. Obviously, horror being towards the end of the year. But um, I gave a shout-out to Betamax Video Club. They more review 80s stuff. Um, and uh, they're like, we don't really see many modern films, but Mission Impossible is pretty fucking dope. So that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Um, guys who we talk to quite a lot, Beyond the Box Set, um, their podcast is awesome, by the way. If you get a chance, give it a, give it a listen to. They do theoretical sequels to movies, so it might be a um, they'll they'll like they'll come up their idea of like I don't know what Back to the Future Four would be. Also, while giving you information and interesting insights into the previous films, which is kind of cool. But their top five was Infinity War, Black Panther, Love Simon, which I didn't get a chance to see, but um, I do read that's that done the rounds with a lot of the awards. Uh, Coco and Spider Verse uh, also definitely sat high with them. Now, here's something where I go, you know what? I like to think we're quite filmy, but then I go to things like when I went to the Empire Film Podcast being recorded live, and they done a kind of like a pub quiz beforehand and I thought okay I won't try and show too many people up I don't know a fucking thing about <laughs> films right there was a lot of people out there that deserve this filmy title far more than we do and uh, one of them is a lady called B Garner who's uh, she's she's tweeted her saying what her top five films of the year are and only upon research of most of these films I've gone oh my god I need to see these in fact this is a wet dream for John so uh, I'll just go through them first and then say where else I've spotted them and like oh my god these films obviously need uh, don't need our notoriety but we need to go read and watch these sort of stuff so uh, Shoplifters uh, this is top of the list uh, this is on Barack Obama's list it has won a ton of awards and the more research I do on this I was like right that's on the on the list of films to catch up with uh, the Cold War movie um, I actually did see this earlier on in the year. I, I actually really enjoyed it. Completely forgot about it though. Uh, Burning movie, uh, haven't seen that yet. Uh, Leave No Trace and uh, Eighth Grade. Uh, again, I think Eighth Grade made uh, Barack Obama's list as well. Barack Obama's a filmy guy. <laughs> He's serious, man. He knows his shit. Maybe we should get him on to interview. Be an interesting one. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's. Uh, I'm sure he's. He's, he's not got much going on for him at the moment. So um, also, friend of the pod, Christian Lopez, a, a critic for uh, Rotten Tomatoes, has sent me through her top five. So her top five was Blind Spotting, uh, which is awesome, actually. Um, I know I tend to be more about the, I just want explosions and stuff, but yeah, Blind Spotting's awesome. Uh, Anna, the Impoc- Anna and the Apocalypse, um, which I haven't seen yet, but the title alone makes me want to see it. Uh, the Basis of Sex, uh, again, another one I haven't seen, shows that we're not as filmy as we thought we were. Bad Times at the El Royale. Now, I went to a press screening of this over in London, and I had such a good time. Um, not just because the screening was awesome, the film is actually really, really good. Um, I don't think we actually 
I think we must have had like a when we had that downtime in November for a bit, or it might have been October. I can't remember now, but um, now it's November where we were down for a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, maybe do a retrospective uh, review of that. I really recommend Bad Times at the El Royale, and she also put a simple favour in her list as well. So there you go, John. You're in good company. Oh, thank goodness. I also reached out to James Dyer of the Empire Film Podcast. Uh, he got back to me, and he's his top one was Quiet Place. Uh, Infinity War. Let's talk about Free Billboards. Um, I didn't actually review this film, but it fucking cleared house. Have you had a chance to see this one yet, or did this pass you by? No, I watched Free Billboards. For some reason, that hasn't. I that I didn't even occur to me, but that is a really, really good movie. Um, uh, that would be very close. That would be in my top ten for sure. But uh, yeah, mm. it's a great movie. I highly recommend it. It was at the start of the year, wasn't it? But. I expect yeah, it's yeah. going to be in quite a few people's lists. Very original. Yeah, watch it. He also put he also put Lady Bird down as his number four, and I think Free Billboards and Lady Bird pretty much came out at the same time, which is always kind of like a oh man, you the press usually goes for one or other, never kind of two at the same time, and I think Lady Bird suffered as a result of that. It didn't in terms of awards and recognition, but. But yeah, and he also put Coco down as his number five, which, uh, yeah, good list. Who else? I'm trying to go through the the posts and stuff that, that people have put on there. Um, I think that's it for the moment. But obviously, you know, keep tweets coming and, you know, please keep shouting at us and we can keep talking filmy from that. But is there any films that you thought, everyone keeps saying these films are amazing, but how is this even a talk of the film of the year like is there any films like that i don't want to i don't want to slate any films or be negative we should be glass half full this time of year but is there any you go i if people keep saying this is like a top film i'm gonna just go jump off a bridge or something overrated movies oh i well there's a lot that i haven't seen i feel terrible but i haven't seen black panther so i can't i can't comment on that one um but i don't know I'm not seeing too many over, really highly overrated. What's yours? You must have one in your head. Be brutal. I haven't, I haven't actually seen it, but I think A Star Is Born is probably overrated, which I know is a real like ignorant, stupid thing to say. But uh, yeah, I, I, I get that that feeling about it. Um, I although we gave it three three out of five, I I didn't really enjoy Isle of Dogs that much, um, and like I'm kind of glad that that kind of disappeared in terms of, of uh, people talking about how amazing films were. Um, I thought Fantastic Beasts, the Fantastic Beasts sequel, I really didn't enjoy that. Um, that's the reason why I didn't review it for the podcast because I didn't have anything nice to say. And I was like, well, if i got nothing nice to say and I'm just sitting there going, this is a bit shit really. They've fucked up their own continuity and it's just... It's just a, a bit of a, a joyless cash grab. I'm like, that's that's not cool. Like, you don't want to talk about that. So that's why I didn't actually do a review for it. Um, what about Paddington Two? Do you think uh, it's so highly rated though? It's got like a hundred percent on some website. I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent, but it's not like it's not it's not terrible. It's just it's just it's just charming. It's a charm offence, right? It's it's all right. Uh, Fallen Kingdom, Jurassic World. Uh, it's kind of disappointed with that in the end. That was a that was a bit of a letdown. But um, anyway, let's go back to films that we enjoyed uh, but didn't quite make the list. So 
Like, uh, I really enjoyed Creed 2. I thought that was fucking brilliant. Um, I gave it 5 out of 5. It's definitely up there. It'll probably be in a top 10, maybe not a top 5, obviously. But, uh, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I've got a guilty pleasure. I kind of enjoyed Venom, like, a bit more than I probably should. And same for the Meg. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, is, was there any sort of guilty pleasures you had from the year that you're like you know what i i don't care if people slam it like i'm enjoying it um i i don't know i guess not too many what about the incredibles 2 i mean we enjoyed that uh, yes I, yeah that was really actually oh god fuck me i forgot about incredibles 2 that was <laughs> that was really good um yeah but not quite as good as i wanted it to be so yeah i it's it was definitely. I think we gave it four out of five at the time, uh, or it might have gone five. But it was. It was definitely you know, an awesome film. At uh, First Man, like I think, First Man, we will look back on uh, in a couple of years' time, and it's kind of like, kind of like you know, like uh, the film Apollo Thirteen just seems to get better with age. Mm. I think First Man will be very much like that, maybe because the subject matter in space, and maybe certain people have got that sort of relationship with the subject matter. But I think First Man will look back and go, yeah, that did not get the recognition it deserved contrary to your opinion i do think crazy rich asians is hideously overrated um i did say it at the time and i feel like come back in two years and i doubt anyone's gonna be talking about that film but um that's just me putting a damp cloth on that particular fire <laughs> <laughs> i'm, I'm sitting a, a thing in my, cal- in my calendar John. Um, two years time yeah tell Alexa. crazy rich asians spoiler cast two years later <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean yeah it's been some great surprise packages as well Rampage with The Rock um, I generally expect that to be terrible it's brilliant it's one of the best action films of the year uh, definitely the best video game adaptation in a very very long time uh, Mandy with uh, with that old crazy SOB uh, Nicolas Cage I generally really really enjoyed that and uh, and yeah the, the Ballad of Buster Shrugs I mean what more do you want Netflix uh, kind of knocked it out of the park this year to an extent with Annihilation and by the sounds of it, um, Roma done absolutely amazing as well. Uh, have you, what was your, did you have, have you got a favourite TV show of the year? Favourite TV show? I mean, Killing Eve um, passed a lot of people by, but on BBC came out, first series, eight episodes, absolutely amazing from start to finish. It's one of them that just keeps, it's one of them, it's, the first series is brilliant, and they're making a second series. I don't know if it's going to get better because it was so good. And you kind of, this the main character, this kind of psychotic woman, is so enthralling. And I don't know how much depth that you want to give her. But Killing Eve, absolutely brilliant. If you haven't seen it, get going. You'll, you'll race through it in about two days, I promise you. It's only eight episodes. Brilliant. Ah, nice, nice. Yeah, that's on my on my list to watch over the the Christmas New Year lull. And um, uh, it's got to be Haunting of Hill House for me. Like the way it was told, the the way the story intertwines, the narrative of looking back, looking forward, and there's one particular twist. And uh, I, I don't. It won't be a spoiler if I say a particular phrase that'll describe the twist for people who know. Um, the crooked neck lady twist, like. That is insane. Like, it's absolutely insane. And uh, for that, just for that twist alone, it deserves to be the TV show of the year. But, um, you know, for a year that we don't have Game of Thrones, like, this, that TV show smashed it out of the park for me. Um, 
but yeah, it's been. I think it's been awesome for TV as well. Uh, film, like I say, I can't wait to for some of the stuff coming out in 2019, and we'll do that in a later pod on all the stuff that we've we've gone from there. And I don't want to do like a definitive top five list because, as you heard, mine and John's are completely separate. And people in the film community that we love and aspire to be, they've obviously got many different types and takes on this as well. So it's more just an interesting conversation. And if any of that's passed you by, hopefully it's a chance for you to to get on your Amazon accounts and and purchase it now. So 2018's kicked ass, and here's to 2019. News. So, John, uh, there's been a couple of bits over the last few weeks that have dropped that we hadn't had a chance to talk through, so let's uh, let's quickly wrap through them. So we've been talking about the live-action Aladdin movie uh, for a little while, directed by Guy Ritchie. He's got Will Smith uh, to name, but some of the talent that's going to be in this film. And... Uh, Disney thought it would be a good idea to let Entertainment Weekly come onto set and take some photos and put it in their Christmas issue. And the front cover was released with Will Smith in the genie role. And um, we've had a chance to have a look at it, mate. What do you think? I think um, it looks pretty similar to the kind of Aladdin poster pantos that we get in English. (laughs) It looks very pantomime, doesn't it? Um, I yeah, I mean, it's not filled me with huge amounts of uh, anticipation, but I've been wrong before, and I'm going to keep an open mind. I think it looks absolutely abysmal, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> why is he not? Why is he not blue? Like the whole thing is he's the big blue lug, right? Like there's, I don't understand. There's so much I don't understand about this. Uh, why? Why is he he not blue? Why has he got? Why is he? got weird hair why is his outfit looks like literally like a panto outfit um they could have gone so many different places with this surely it should be cg like the whole character should be i don't know look let's reserve judgment completely um until we've seen like a full trailer because moving pictures always look a lot better and this might be a concept you know it might be a we're still getting it right although i highly doubt it um I kind of said earlier in the year that I, I fear for this project and this has not allayed any fears at all. Yeah, squeaky bum time for Aladdin. Well, hopefully they can pull it out of the fire. But um, you know what? I don't even, I personally think they should have, because Robin Williams, apparently he ad-libbed a lot of the of the genie, right? It's pretty much him just doing his, his routine, right? And they've got loads of outtakes. Why didn't they try and salvage that and like basically reprise the genie they've done it with Mufasa with um, James L. Jones for the the Lion King remake so why don't they do the same with with this how awesome would that have been that's a very interesting theory or if there's enough get Daniel Costanza to come back because basically when you know they've done those director DVD sequels uh, Robin Williams was too expensive to to get them so they went and got Dan Costanza who does the voice of Homer Simpson uh. so it's a, yeah, obviously a a world-renowned voice actor. Why don't they get him? He can obviously do a great genie impression. Anyway, that that rants over. Let's talk about um, as I mentioned before, Black Mirror. The the new Black Mirror dropped as mentioned in the intro. Um, it's pretty damn good. Give it a look and uh, tell us some of your favourite uh, variants of the story. Um, I won't spoil anything, but right at the start, you have a, a choice to make whether he has sugar puffs or frosties for breakfast. Wh- where would you sit on that scale, John? Frosties all day long. Sugar puffs remind me of uh, the first wee in the morning. You know, sometimes it smells like sugar puffs. Too much information? I don't know. But um, this is something Chris Moyles has talked about on Radio 1, so I'm not alone 
Sugar puffs smells <laughs> like wee. Well, I went with frosties in my in my first well done uh, go of it as well. So so there we go. Maybe uh, maybe it's a a sign of remain or exit. I don't know. Anyway, um, did you see the Macaulay Culkin Home Alone ad he done for Google? I did. I hope he got, he got absolutely paid ridiculously for it. I'm sure he did. He probably got paid more than he got paid for Home Alone, ironically. But uh, yeah, <laughs> loved it. And I also loved a few of... He had some really witty tweets, didn't he, about Home Alone, which is really funny. Yeah, it did start a big debate over what job did the dad have to have a house that big and to A, be a target of theft but also can just disappear in the in the middle of the night to take a cross country flight during christmas and it's not seen as out of the fucking ordinary and why doesn't he call the police for goodness sake he's a he's a kid at home alone he could call the police at any time but the truth is he he liked it he liked it he wanted to kill those people and he probably went on to kill more people so don't feel too bad for old <laughs> kevin McAllister. He's a ruthless murderer. <laughs> it's actually the Zodiac killer. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> all back in. Anyway, anyway, let's talk about traders that dropped over the last few uh, last week or so. So, Men in Black, uh, classic franchise. The first film's brilliant. The second film, yeah, a bit of a bit of a cash grab, but still, nonetheless, it earns its place in history. The third film uh, wasn't exactly a return to form, but it completed a a narrative for Will Smith's character to an extent, anyway. And um, it's being rebooted, but in the same universe. It's not like a it's not like it's a complete new reboot. It's just a a uh, a continuation in the Men in Black universe with Men in Black International. It's got Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth in the leads, as well as uh, Emma Thompson and uh liam neeson as well so the first trailer for it drops john have you had a chance to see it yet yeah what a cast um it, yeah i mean big cheesy put all the jokes in the trailer <laughs> I, uh, but i mean it did make me think this is a good time for men in black because the whole thing the concepts and it lends itself well to the technology that we have now and the wacky stuff in the from the first movies kind of looks even better now so yeah i think great cast let's see what they've done with it yeah i think it can it's benefited from not having a men in black film for a little while so it means that they can be a bit nostalgic the only sort of qualm i got with this is that you've got a like you mentioned the cast is brilliant you've got a really talented cast uh, i think tessa thompson is one of the most talented people on the planet um, in Creed 2, she's absolutely incredible. She does the soundtrack to it as well. Like, she records songs for it. And uh, she's also really, really funny, as we saw in Thor Ragnarok as well. She obviously works really well with Chris Hemsworth, which is an absolute uh, gem when it comes to comedy. Like, he is generally a funny guy. Even in that Ghostbusters film, which wasn't funny, he was funny. And um, I just don't know. It just feels like it's it's just playing on the same beats of the, the first two films, or first three films, sorry. And... I don't know if it's pushing the envelope and I just think we might in a year's time just go, yeah, that happened. Yeah, it was basically just a men in black film. Same sort of concept. Becomes an agent, takes down an alien. Yeah, there was those funny Mexican aliens in it and that was about it, you know? So I feel like it's just, uh, it's not, it's not a, it's just, ah, I'm finding it really hard to describe this, but it feels like it's just a, another another page in the in the book it's not a it's not a revolution in terms of uh, where we're moving from that and i kind of felt the same about the next trailer um hellboy 
Uh, we reported on this a while back that they're rebooting this with David Harbour taking on the lead. Um, I'm still bitter. I want that third Hellboy film directed by Camino del Toro with Ron Perlman in the lead. But alas, that's not to happen. And we got the first trailer dropped from that. And... Um, you know when people bitched and moaned about Spider-Man being remade? So they went from Tobey Maguire to Andrew Garfield. And people were like, we don't need a, a, a new Spider-Man. Why are we doing this? At least they tried to make Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man completely different. Like it was a different tone of film, different style in terms of the, the vision they were trying to portray. So you can kind of see treat them as separate films. This feels like... A remake of the first film like it's beat for beat like there's nothing different stylistically there's nothing different in terms of of that and that's a bit depressing and david harbour looks the part but when i hear him talk it doesn't quite work for me just yet have you seen this one yet yeah i've seen the trailer yeah uh yes nothing it kind of felt a bit dated cliche jokes oh look i look weird and i'm in a normal environment um yeah so I feel set up for some disappointment for you, Flinty, I'm afraid, because I know how much you like those originals. Yeah, I love them, love them. And uh, hopefully it can do it justice. Like I say, let's see what, what happens next. But uh, yeah, I am I just feel like you've had an opportunity here to go a completely different tangent. You've got a new cast, new director, new new everything, and you're, you're basically remaking the same stuff. But anyway, let's let's not beat them up too much. Hopefully um, we're, we're wrong and take it from there. So anyway, Christmas Eve was the time for giving, and Jordan Peele thought he would uh, give us all something to cheer about. He dropped his trailer for us. Now, this, this is incredible. Um, I was absolutely blown away. I am so pumped, so excited. It's instantly number one in the films I need to see in 2019, and that is in a list that has the next Avengers film. And yeah, it just looked amazing. Please tell me you've seen this one, John. Oh, mate, I'm totally with you. Uh, what I loved about this, it felt fresh. Every trailer feels the same. And suddenly I'm like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And he does the same thing he does in his... He Somehow he managed to do the same thing as he does in his films, like uh, get out particularly, spend the first bit. Oh, okay, preparing. And then the second half of the trailer is completely different. And it sense i mean it looks a lot scarier and creepier than get out uh but it doesn't really give away what the film's trying to say that's what i'm intrigued about uh so i you know obviously i never want to spoil it from a trailer i feel like i want to know what you know what's the social commentary almost uh with with jordan peele's movies and um didn't quite get that from the trailer which i'm really happy about um but yeah, I am bang up for this. It looks scary, really enthralling. I um, can't wait. One of the most anticipated movies of next year for sure. Yeah, a load of media outlets, I'm really jealous of them, got sent a pair of gold scissors like the day before, just saying that a present's coming. And obviously there's there's a massive narrative point between the gold scissors and and the people's, uh, I don't know, let's call them duplicates or for lack of a better word at the moment. Um, but cast-wise, Winston Duke, uh, he was absolutely fantastic in Black Panther, as well as um, T'Challa's love interest. I can't remember her name, but she's also in this, and she looks incredible. Uh, and I'll never listen to I've Got Five on it in the same way ever again, I don't think. Oh, mate, that's the other thing. The, the music starts with that great tune, classic tune. They even talk about it in the film, which is a great little, little tidbit. But then 
I mean, this evolves into this crazy cinematic version. It's incredible. Watch the trailer. I guarantee you will be pumped to watch this. It's brilliant. Um, I've got some news for you, Flinty, actually, because you've always got news for me. I feel like you're due a piece of news from me. Would you like it? It's like all my Christmases come at once, John snacked me with it. <laughs> well, it's actually some really sad news. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but the BBC at Axin film, their flagship film review programme that's been hosted by Claudia Winkleman, Jonathan Ross, and Charlie Brooker's done a bit of hosting on it, a few other people. And I don't know about you, but it's one of the things that really got me into film when I was younger. I absolutely love it. Film 2019, 2018, whatever year it is, it changes each year. But really sad because, uh, you know, I love it as a film review show and I'm hoping it gets replaced with something else. But it's been about over 30 years this this uh, show's been running. And I'm sure if you're into film, it's probably had quite an effect on you and... So very sad to be saying goodbye and, uh, you know, come on, BBC, you want my licence fee, you better have something good up your sleeves. And at homage, I'm going to play the theme tune on guitar right now for you. You ready? You recognise it? Oh, I do, John. I feel like it's, it's like you're sending it out to sea and giving it a burial at sea while we're giving it our podcast salute. Um, no, I agree. Your 30 years that show has been going. Um, I, yeah, for, for me, I agree with you. It's one of those shows that I used to always adore watching. I then thought they killed it. And then it turns out they didn't kill it. They stuck it on the graveyard shift on the, on the BBC. So no wonder numbers didn't do particularly well for it. And also, and this is something, and you know, this is something the BBC hasn't done particularly well, which is get with the times. Um, people don't just consume media for a TV. Like, why wasn't this a decent podcast? Why was this not a, a V-blog, which you could go watch whenever you wanted? Why can you interact with communities? The next generation of film critics aren't middle-aged white dudes, you know, listening to BBC4. The next crit uh, next generation of critics are, are out there in the digital world and and it's not just one type of person and they never engaged with that they never tried to push the envelope so although it is very sad that the bbc have decided to make this uh, the the final farewell for a institute um it's kind of like they get what they deserve they don't try and get with the times and um, i really hope someone like bfi like get involved and like try and try and fill the void a little bit more uh, more mainstream um not saying that they don't but i just think there's just an opportunity of the the gap that film's gonna leave um but yeah it's just it's a crying shame that we have to say goodbye to it and to all those names that have been hosting it and part of it for for, for generations and um, although i have to say john for me growing up it was movies games and videos on itv that was my that was my filmy thing until they cancelled that and then i discovered film I think well, I discovered it in 20, uh, 2003, I think. Something like that. Anyway, uh, so that's your news for this week. I knew you'd be an ITV guy, you slag. Permission to come aboard. I've been looking for you. Your half-brother, King Orm, is about to declare war upon the surface world. The only way to stop this war is for you to take your rightful place as king. 
Trust me, I am no king. So, Aquaman. I think it's fair to say that not many people had high hopes of this film following the lukewarm reception of uh, Justice League, BVS, and the kind of patchy history of the DC movie universe to date. There's been some big hitters in terms of Wonder Woman, uh, but mostly it's been it's been a bit of a letdown, and uh, it's been well documented and acknowledged by Warner Brothers that they're probably not going to be doing big team-up films anymore. They're going to focus on getting the individual movies right. Anyway, next up in the in the slate was Aquaman. It's directed by James Wan. Uh, you might know him as the director in more of the horror world. He worked on films like The Conjuring. He's worked on Saw. Uh, he's worked in loads of other like films which you wouldn't have necessarily associated him with, like the uh, Fast and Furious. He worked on Fast and Furious 7. And he was lined up to, to write and direct Aquaman. And basically the premise of this film is that it's set after the events of Justice League. Um, Arthur Curry is still on the outskirts of living the life of a Atlantean, but also living as a human on dry land. And a big family quarrel has happened where he has to go reclaim the staff of Atlantis to basically stop a war from happening on the surface. That's basically the gist of this film. It's had a lot of press over the last couple of months in terms of trailers and, and videos dropping all that sort of stuff. Cast-wise, it's a pretty awesome cast. Jason Momoa's back as, as Arthur. Amber Heard is playing Mira, who is supposedly the love interest in this, but she, you know, she does have her own stuff and her own right in this as well. We've got William Defoe, who's obviously a very William Defoe-like character. Coming from the Conjuring universe, we've got Patrick Wilson uh, playing Arthur's half-brother. Nicole Kidman uh, does a really good turn in this. She's playing uh, Atlanta, who is the mother of Aquaman. Dolph Lundgren is in this film, and he plays a serious character and has lots of lines. He's very good in this. I really enjoyed the tone of this film. It's very light-hearted. Jason Momoa's delivery is very Jason Momoa-esque. He's managed to build this kind of character about himself, and... You just want to go out for a beer with him. You know, he's, he's that kind of guy. Uh, he's kind of, you know, the reluctant, I don't want to be king. No, wait a minute, I do need to be king because if that guy's king, then chances are we're all in trouble. And, you know, the reluctant, but eventually becomes the hero kind of story special effects in this film are absolutely breathtaking by the way i think this film had to invent stuff that we've never seen before being the nature of it being majority underwater and i think we're not actually appreciating the amount of proesque and mastery that has gone into making some of the effects in this film it is absolutely gorgeous i think the general tone of the film is really really interesting a lot of people have said that they kind of don't know where it sits it is very batshit crazy there's a scene where an octopus plays drums there's a crab voiced by brian blessed there's a giant creature of the deep which is kind of like the kraken but they don't call it the kraken voiced by julie andrews literally the most powerful being on the planet voiced by mary poppins which is kind of cool the fight scenes are absolutely glorious in fact i would say that the big atlantean underwater war scene uh, will rival infinity war or black panther in terms of scale and i thought the writing was really really clever in terms of the the style really funny there were some really good uh, comedic moments there and the chemistry between jason Moore and amber heard was was definitely there to on screen there are some bits which i'm kind of like why am i not giving this a four or five some bits don't necessarily work in terms of the dialogue some bits don't work in terms of the narrative and it is absolutely crazy though there's you can't help but just smile i really enjoyed this and i am pushing towards four i think it's a four out of five it's probably the best film in the dc universe not as important as wonder woman but i in my opinion a more enjoyable film 
Um, I think if you did like Justice League and did like that world, you're going to get something out of this. If you want to see something completely different, well, good news is that this definitely goes off on its own tangent and doesn't really connect to those films other than just a quick throwaway line of dialogue um, at the start of the film. So, yeah, four out of five. I highly, I do recommend this. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say highly recommend it, but I do I do recommend this film. Um, there is a post credit stinger at the end, so it suggests that they are going to carry on in this world i hope james wan comes back to direct it i i generally love the guy i think everything he makes is awesome so there you have it four out of five i came because i had no choice i came to save my home and the people that i love you think you're unworthy to lead because you're of two different worlds that is exactly why you are worthy that was awesome so for our next review, this is something John went and reviewed with Jamie, his missus, a while back. And uh, this is the opportunity we've got to, to slot it into the pod. We sent them to review Roma, uh, a new film on your Netflix account. Uh, as John mentioned earlier on in the pod, this is a film which he thinks is definitely going to hit the award season and hit the award season hard. And uh, let's let's hear what he's got to say. Enjoy. Streaming Gems. For this week's streaming gem, we are going to be taking a look at the film Roma by director Alfonso Cuaron. You all know him from 2013's Gravity, an amazing movie set in space. This is very, very different, however, set in Mexico 1970 to 1971. Let's focus on our main protagonist, a woman by the name of Cleo, who is a servant for a wealthy family in Mexico City. Uh, so she's deliberately very kind of vague going about her housekeeping duties very quietly for a rich middle-class family based on Alfonso Cuaron's actual childhood which is one of the most fascinating parts of this movie for me it's the personal nature uh, the whole thing rings as a movie that's been really put a lot of love and a lot of detail from his own experience in it and it really makes the movie what it is. Before I continue, I will mention that this was meant to be a joint review with my lovely wife, but she's lost her voice. So she's just going to nod and agree with me about everything. Um, <laughs> so anyway, let's get on. So Roma spends the first hour of the movie, the first half really, kind of setting the scene. If you've seen The Deer Hunter, you'll know they spend about two hours family parties very normal and then they go off to war and shit hits the fan this kind of goes in a similar direction i think it spends a long time setting the scene uh getting to know the characters a little bit a lot of subtleties a lot of long slow pan shots as you've seen in all of alfonso Cuaron's movies uh, particularly Gravity. It was quite strange to see the similarities of Gravity, given that one is set in space and one is 1970s Mexico. So the obvious things to mention about this movie, this is a subtitled Spanish language uh, movie and it is in black and white, which really gives it, a, I think it gives it a real interesting mood. Um, so I think that was a, a really good call. The second half of this movie 
things start happening. A lot of the political turmoil at the time in Mexico really comes to light. And this servant housekeeping character is kind of constantly in the mix of these crazy kind of background scenes, lots of stuff going on in the background while she's quietly trying to go about her own business uh, because she has had a boyfriend. She's got pregnant. The boyfriend has left he kind of comes back in the movie. I won't ruin anything, but uh, it, the men in this movie do not uh, come out too well. <laughs> a lot of misogynistic themes um, about sexism that was just the norm in seventies and and macho machismo. Yes, Jamie's doing some good muscle flex in there to remind me. So, I mean, a lot of the themes of this movie is for me the resolve of women um, and how it's kind of openly Alfonso said this is a love letter to the strong women in his life the movie ends and it says for Libo who the housekeeper was based on and it's just it breaks your heart because it's it's absolutely beautiful the kind of portrayal of this very understated underappreciated woman who is just there to serve um but in the right moments of the film she just has this incredible strength and resolve and it I had to I shed a tear I have to admit a couple of moments you just can't believe almost for myself I I dismissed for the first hour of the movie you kind of question why am I watching a movie about this woman because she's so understated and the second half of the movie you feel like annoyed at yourself an hour ago for questioning that because it's just uh, amazing um, what she kind of goes through and the strength she shows. So I do want to talk about the camera work in this movie because Alfonso Cuaron is an absolute master of the direction and cameras in particular. He, these long, slow pan shots, never getting too close to the character, which is a really interesting kind of detail. Almost keeping, you know, hands hands off. You're not allowed too close to know much about these characters. It's all a bit vague, which is really interesting. There's also some quite kind of bizarre moments, um, which keep things flowing. I think every now and then you kind of it's a bit slow paced, and then something strange will pop, crop up, a strange camera shot, and you're kind of reminded um, you're watching a, a, an amazing director at work here. Often you feel like the visuals and the kind of creative camera work are kind of filling in the language that Cleo, our main protagonist, is not able to convey because she is a servant, uh, a silent servant type. Another really interesting choice he made was not to really use any music. Uh, it's all incidental music. So there's a lot of marching music, there's a lot of Mexican uh, bands playing all kinds of music but it's all in the scene so there's no <laughs> real background music going on this really gives it a sense of authenticity i think um and you you really feel like you're in the scenes i mean some of the scenes there's little dialogue there's a lot of camera work and it really sets the mood which is what he does if you've seen any of his movies you will know how well he sets scenes and this is no different but i think like i said at the beginning the best thing about this movie is the personal nature it's his this love letter to this figure in his life who did a, a couple of 
amazing things in his life and in the family and it's just a beautiful tribute to her and I mean this woman was a servant she has very little self-worth and that's quite evident um, but she shows such strength when it matters and I think that's really where the film comes into its own and it's it's absolutely beautiful to see. Now, as an English lad who grew up in the 90s, I found it kind of fascinating to see a kind of, uh, what I assume is a realistic portrayal of Mexico City in the 70s because you don't often get to see that. Now, I will not pretend this film is for everyone. Uh, critics giving it 96%, audience giving it 84%, um, which I think is very fair, but... It is a long, slow-moving movie. Uh, if that's not your bag, it's, it's subtitled, it's black and white. I think these little things put a lot of people off, if we're realistic. But you will be missing out because it's an absolute joy and a delight. And I don't think I can give it anything other than five out of five because it really gets you in the feels. And there's a couple of scenes where you realise it's justified being that long and that slow moving because it's building up to to these powerful moments um, that have no music in them. It's just sounds from the scenes and you kind of realise how powerful and how skillful a director Alfonso Cuaron is to, uh, to get that without music. So there you have it, Roma. See it on your Netflix subscription, five out of five. Big asterisk, not for everyone, but if you're like me and a little bit sensitive, I think you're going to enjoy it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to us as much as we've enjoyed making this pod, please click on the like, subscribe, follow, whatever button it is that you get more content from Talk Filming to Me. I want to thank my boy John. How can people find you? You can find me at Descamento on Twitter. And that's probably it. That's probably our last pod of the year. We'll be back uh, first thing in January with our films we're looking forward to in 2019. We'll have Mary Poppins review. We'll be reviewing Bird Box. Tons of cool stuff coming. Lots of great, interesting things happening. The new website launching. Uh, we've got loads of guest people coming on in the year. So tons of stuff to, to be looking forward to. And anyway, enjoy the rest of your year. Stay filmy till next time. Bye-bye. Cellar door and baby. Talk filmy to me.